what is up guys so today we are back again no gary today he just didn't show up you know he just doesn't like engaging with the podcast he hates you guys right that's it's just i have to unfortunately let you know but fortunately enough we are joined by someone who is much more educated and much more let's say adept at discussing the topic at hand today which is we'll call it female fitness right there's a lot more to it there's a lot more nuance we're going to go into but female fitness is onomatopoeic you know it kind of rolls off the tongue nicely so we're going to title it that but today we have Nicola Dr. Nicola she is our resident doctor and our resident uh female specialist i suppose you'd say women's health specialist women's body composition specialist just specialist in women um, and we'll get nicola to uh, introduce herself in a second but i just want to say before we get into that that today's episode is a little bit of an intro episode to this kind of series that we're going to run on again this female health female fitness whatever you want to call this stuff right and the reason we're going to do this intro episode is well, first of all, there's a lot to discuss. As you'll see over in the coming episodes, there is a lot of nuance with this stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, stuff that you have to dive deep into. And if you don't have the requisite background knowledge, you're always going to be left going, wait, what do they mean by that? Or how does that relate to this other thing? So we kind of have to build your knowledge over the next few episodes before we can really get into the nitty gritty stuff, right? So with that in mind, this is an intro episode. And with all intros, we want to have an introduction. And the introduction today is to Dr. Nicola. So who are you? What do you do? Like, who, who is Nicola? Well, Patty, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, so yeah, my name is um, Nicola, and I've been a coach for the last couple of years. Um, originally, I was in, I was in person, personal training. Um, and then I moved to online with triage back in July. Um, because I started as a junior doctor down here in Waterford. Um, so I'm currently on my surgical rotations. Um, and with triage, I suppose I'm mostly focusing on women's health, women's strength training and nutrition. And I suppose this is what we wanted to do the podcast about, because I think that there is a lot of noise recently about women's health. And I think it's something that's being kind of thrown around a lot. And there's still a lot of misinformation going around. And so I suppose, like Patty said, is we want to get some background knowledge um, on women's specific issues, women health, women's health, different life stages, um, and build on that over the next couple of weeks. But I suppose what I primarily wanted to focus on on, on this episode is, I suppose, talking about the, the differences in these life stages because I think, you know, from talking to, um, you know, friends, family, they're like, well, what is the difference between men and women? You know, why are we there? There is no difference. Like, why are we kind of almost regressing when we're talking about this? And I know me personally, um, when people used to bring up, you know, differences between men and women, I'd nearly get defensive about it. You know, it was nearly something that I would find sexist. I'd be like, there's no difference. I can train just as much as a man and I can do whatever. Um, but really, I think that's actually quite counterproductive to ourselves and to our physiology because there are some key differences and like I said like big life stages that women go through um so I think yeah it was definitely doing a disservice to my old self um and to um the women around me by kind of having that attitude towards it um so yeah mostly that and then and then also this is the thing about like again this female fitness stuff 
first of all, there is no real right and wrong with health and fitness in general, right? There's obviously shades of gray, there's, you know, better, worse, but it's, it's a really hard uh, landscape to navigate purely because you can often find yourself in a situation where you think you are doing the right thing, or you think you're in a, uh, let's call it a frame of mind where you're like, this is, you know, this is the frame of mind that I should be in. And you're, it's not necessarily entrenched. It's not like, oh, this is the, my last stand. This is the, the hill I'm going to die on. But you can have a more, let's call it emotional reaction to something when you hear something initially. But like you said, as you actually learn a little bit more, you start thinking a bit more deeply about this stuff. Not to say that, you know, if you have a certain position, you don't think deeply about this stuff, but you start learning more that this certain beliefs can actually be unhelpful in the grand scheme of things. They might be helpful in, you know, dealing with certain issues. Like if someone said to you like, oh, women shouldn't train because, you know, that's for guys, you know, it's like, it's helpful to have the position that you previously had where it's like, there's no difference between men and women. Women can do everything that men can do. But then in other things, if we ignore any differences, you kind of get left um, without actual solutions to the problems that you're facing. You know, it's that difference between like uh, equality and equity. You know, it's like we actually want to build something here where you have access to the resources that you need. I have access to the resources that I need. And then we can go from there. Like we're actually more on a, uh, a level playing field as a result of that because we actually have equal access to the knowledge that is helpful for us as individuals. And obviously that broader category, you know, male, female, not so binary, but you know, male, female that we fall into, you know? Absolutely. And, and I suppose that that's the big thing that we, there, there are such key differences in our physiology. And I think it, it comes down to more than talking about equality. And I think it, it goes back to even how we were taught in school. Like a lot of the, my clients that come to me have never tracked their menstrual cycle, wouldn't know how to go about that, don't know what hormones are involved, don't know about what different stages um, that they're in, just their cycle comes once every month. And they don't really understand how they can manipulate, just say like PMS symptoms, how they can um, manipulate their kind of training and nutrition to help with their bloating um, to help with to change their their training throughout the month the nutrition and they, they come to me and they have not a clue about it and then once we start to implement a couple of strategies they really notice a difference in PMS symptoms um, they understand their cravings more why they get mood swings at certain times of the month why they get more um, water retention etc so I think going back you know to school we never were learned we never were taught about this stuff we were never taught about um, the menopause perimenopause postmenopause and I know an old client was saying to me recently, she's like, what's all this noise about perimenopause? You know, she's around that age herself. And she's like, you know, why are people talking about this now? Like, this is the first thing that I've heard about it. And, you know, this is a woman, you know, in her 40s. Um, so I think, it, yeah, it goes back to a lack of education and kind of taboo subjects, really. Yeah. And this is like hugely endemic in more, we'll call them conservative societies, you know, and that would be Ireland, especially like you know, the two of us are Irish. I know we have a lot of listeners from around the world, but especially in Ireland, we come from that more, you know, we'll call it regressive Catholic ideology of like, let's push all this stuff. Like previously, like women weren't even allowed in the church if they were on their period, like that, you just, that uh, you're dirty, you know, that's not, not sinful per se, but it's like, that's, you know, you're not supposed to be in the church there, you know? So it's like, it's all about brushing it under the under the rug here. Let's not talk about that. Let's not even look at that. And as a result, the society as a whole, but especially the people that need the education that want it because it pertains to their life, 
they have a huge deficit of knowledge here, you know? And that's kind of what we want to talk about throughout this whole podcast series is like, let's actually answer these questions. Let's actually put down the foundations in this episode and kind of the next episode as well. So yeah, you have this understanding and then you can actually start realizing this stuff because like you said there with your clients, um, like I've had a lot of clients in the past as well that have never looked at this stuff. You know, they didn't even know to look at this stuff. They were just like, oh, this is just something that happens. You know, it's not that case that's being a bit like hyperbolic, but it's like, they just know, oh yeah, you know, it's roughly a four week cycle, something like that. And, you know, that's it. It doesn't enter into their mind that this is going to affect their training, their diet, their, you know, ability to do stuff in the world that they want to do. It's like, oh, that's just something that happens because they still are in that mentality of like, let's just brush that under the rug. Let's not talk about it. Like I have a number of uh, Muslim clients and it's especially in that uh, culture as well. Because again, if like if you had like a fundamentalist, like Christian person, it would also be very similar where it's like, you know, let's push that under the rug. So if you have a more conservative Muslim society, you also have that kind of like, let's not talk about that stuff. So it is one of those things where if you haven't ever looked at this stuff, you know, you're going to have to get a lot of education to actually bring yourself up to a standard where you're like, okay, I can actually see how all the puzzle pieces fit together now and how this actually fits into the broader picture of what I'm trying to create here, you know? Um, so maybe we can go through the kind of life stages here and then we'll kind of bring it on to certain, we'll just mention them in this episode, but we will be going in more in depth in future episodes. We'll come into some more like a, again, female specific issues, because I know a lot of people, I, like I've had a lot of clients, I know Brian deals with a lot of clients with this stuff in terms of nutrition. And, um, but there's a lot of women out there that have like very specific, like female specific issues that can actually be helped with, you know, changes in their diet or changes in their nutrition. Like you don't even need to go to a doctor. Now that's not to say don't go to the doctor, but it's stuff that you can actually manage or potentially I hate the word like, you know, fix um, with, you know, nutrition or training adaptations, or it's something where, okay, I'm actually going to have to manage my training around this issue that I have. So we have to be aware of that, first of all, there are female specific issues that we need to educate ourselves about, right? So we'll go through the life stages, we'll go through some, we'll just touch on some specific issues, and then we'll talk about, you know, maybe the, the history, how things have changed, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So what is the story here? As far as I'm aware, look, guys and girls, we're the same, you know, pretty much indistinguishable up until about, let's say 12, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, they're pretty similar. You have a guy in a race, you have a girl in the race, they're sub 12, pretty similar results. You know, you're not going to be able to tell a huge difference, but is there a difference before that? Should we even think in like, Oh, you know, in terms of, we'll say training, nutrition, anything, anything in that so or pre, I should say, pre-puberty stage is there anything that we would be looking at in, in that stage do you sorry do you mean in terms of like sorry. just in terms of like you know i don't know is there anything that we'd be like oh there's something to look out for you know women have specific issues here that are just not being catered to because i know there definitely are in terms of the education front because you know that's when you get a lot of your we'll call it like sex education and stuff like that so i know there's a deficit there but is there anything else so I, I think, yeah, I suppose go, going back to, to, to education wise was that, like you're saying, Ireland is very conservative. So it's left us in a, in a huge, I suppose, knowledge deficit for when we get older. But at that age, um, it's it still is so important about education around the menstrual cycle. And what you'll find about that age is that 
young girls start to drop off from things like sports things like PE they pretend that they're sick when really they're on their period they're uncomfortable so I think more education at that age will have a better retention of girls in exercise in sport um, but at that age what kind of um, nutritional and training things should we be look at it's really like I suppose what kids enjoy if, if someone's around the age of 12 it like I would I just encourage them to partake in exercise that they enjoy, have more education around the menstrual cycle. Um, and then, you know, at that age, you, you're really starting to see a lot of patterns of disordered eating, I suppose, mostly in young girls. Um, you know, you have the influence of social media, you have the influence of magazines. And you have a huge influence from your parents, from your older sisters, if you're their mom is checking themselves in the mirror, if they're the way that they're talking about dieting and weight loss can really rub off on that younger age. Um, and you see that quite often in the hospital as you see, you know, girls that might be 12, um, 13 that are coming in with, you know, anorexia, bulimia. Um, and a lot of that, I suppose it's multifactorial, um, but it really starts um, in a young age and can be down to simply just from body checking, watching older women body check, um, you know, the fronts of magazines and you're seeing celebrities in uncomfortable positions, you know, coming out of the water on the beach and like she gained 30 pounds. So it starts really at a young age, but in terms of, I suppose, specific recommendations, it is what a child enjoys and it's just trying to get them into sport, into nutrition, into fitness, because I suppose now a lot of us think of nutrition and fitness as something that's aesthetic um, and something that's why that's the main driving force. But really, um, like we need to be doing this for ourselves, for our own health. And so we need to, I suppose, redirect the energy from taking away from the power of aesthetics and putting it more towards health. So I suppose that that's where I would be going with it with kids. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm in complete agreement. Like you just need to get those like good foundational habits, good nutrition habits, just some sort of exercise paradigm. It doesn't need to be like literally, like you said. Like, what does that child enjoy? Maybe they enjoy, I don't know, rollerblading. How can you facilitate that? They maybe enjoy, I don't know, GAA or something. It's like, how can you facilitate that? You know, obviously there's a huge, you know, gap here in terms of access, in terms of like you know, socioeconomic status, where you live, etc. But there's usually something that you can find that your child enjoys that will get them in some way active. And at the end of the day, you could literally do something like, oh, I'm gonna you know, bring my child there for a walk. That is still activity that does contribute to better health. You know, So it's like, there is always something that can be done. Now, again, that doesn't ignore the potential barriers in the way of that. Like you might say, oh, I'll just go for a walk or whatever. Like you might not have the time to go for a walk. You might not even have the fitness yourself to go for the walk. But you know, stuff like that, we have to try to encourage that wherever possible. Then we get into the kind of, we'll say the, uh, you know, teen years into the early twenties. This is where I, like, in my opinion, a lot of, first of all, like you said, women drop off the health and fitness radar. Now this before, let's just think about this. Cause I know we want to go on to like the, the, how it occurred over the last few years, but in the previous years, it would have been a case of, okay, I used to play, you know, football or whatever as a child, you know, or even just like during like a break on like yard or whatever, it's like, oh, I'd play football. I'd go around running, skipping, <laughs> whatever it is. There would be some activity scheduled into the day, you know? After that, like you said, people start dropping off. Women specifically start dropping off a, a much higher rate than guys seem to drop off. Like guys seem to keep their sport up for a longer period of time. Now this could be 
like you said, due to like menstrual discomfort, you know, something like that, where they're like, oh, I, I don't feel great in my body. Maybe they also have some sort of like dislike of the way their body looks or, you know, moves or whatever it is, you know. But then also we have to acknowledge that there's also cultural things around that, you know, like women might be expected to do more. Like if you are uh, in a family of five, let's say, you know, and there's two older daughters, those two older daughters are actually asked to do more around the house. Like it's almost like, oh yeah, you're a woman. So you do the housework. Whereas the guys are like, it's kind of facilitated to go, oh yeah, you're a guy. You just, I'll bring you to football training now or rugby or whatever it is, you know, and that's not always the case but that does play into it for a large number of people, you know? And then also some of the, the hobbies, the interests of women are not really as well catered to in, you know, the society that we currently live in, in terms of this, like whatever you want to call it, Western society. So as a result of that, women kind of drop off all hobbies at this stage, you know, which just leaves them in a position which we ideally don't want, which is, you know, they're kind of just left at home. What do you do when you're at home? You're kind of bored. You're like, okay, we might eat some more. And then also when you're flicking through social media, you get exposed to all of these different beautiful bodies and beaches in Bali and whatever else. It's like, there's a lot going on in these kind of formative teen years, you know? So what should we be thinking of here? Like what, what's going on? Yeah. So I suppose this is when um, girls really start to drop off with um, with sport, with exercise. And a lot of that comes to, you know, we've come through puberty now, our hormones are all over the place. You know, maybe we're starting to be, you know, attracted to other people. And like you said there, a huge part of it is actually the way that their body looks during exercise. And it's not just, um, you know, the male gaze or, or male pressure. Like I remember in school when we had in PE the bleep test, um, and girls had a pact to um, drop out at like level seven or whatever it is. So you'd see literally 10 girls just stop at this one specific level and um, that they were, weren't going to go any further. You know, so this is when you're really starting to see kind of body dysmorphia kick in and and social pressures and like how a woman should look when they're exercising. Um, you know, you've that then you've mixed with um, that. This is when they're really susceptible to things like skinny teas and all these kind of detoxes and really low restrictive calories um even though when you're you know 16 17 generally people are very slim at that age um but it's just kind of never enough you know because they're still seeing um bodies of older women that are completely developed and they want to emulate that but you know how do we get there like i suppose i'll just you know drop to really low calories but they might not even verbalize they might not know about calories at this stage and be like okay i'm just not going to eat a lot yeah and that's the thing as well there's a, a component of this where obviously we can help here in, in terms of us what we do in terms of educating people about nutrition and different things like that but it is societal pressures but also it's not just society you know like people say this like nameless faceless society it's also an internal pressure like these women are feeling it themselves you know and that can be a good motivating factor for some people like it can literally be the thing where it's like okay actually i want to look and feel a certain way oh when i do these activities i actually look and feel a certain way so i'm going to keep up these activities so it can be a positive force but unfortunately a lot of the time it's that very negative destructive force where it's like okay i don't really know what i should be doing in terms of exercise or nutrition so i'm going to over exercise i'm just going to do a lot of exercise 
uh, or I'm just not going to exercise because I don't like the way I look when I'm exercising. I'm going to wear like really baggy clothes. So people don't look at my body. Like you said, like that could be some, somewhat towards like the, the male gaze, or it could just be like, I don't feel comfortable with being perceived yeah. in general. Like I don't, I don't want people to even think I exist, you know? Um, but then also we have the other side of it where again, you could be over-exercising and that's not good either. And then on the nutrition front, it's also, again, you generally see one or the other where someone's like, I'm going to retreat from society. I'm not going to look at society. I'm going to stay at home. I'm not going to be active. And generally when you're at home and have a lower activity level, like it actually makes things worse because then like if you're uh, whatever, let's say, let's say again, what are teen, teen girls? They're probably between like 50 to 70 kilos. Like, you know, it's like if you're a 50 kilo uh, woman, like your overall calorie expenditure just as a baseline is probably not that high. So it is actually very easy to accumulate more fat and overeat if you are just sitting at home, you don't have a high activity level. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're at home, you're eating more because it's very easy to overeat when you're just sitting at home. Um, and even if you're at 70 kilos, like it's still your, your baseline uh, calorie needs are probably still not as high as someone else's. And that is another thing as well. Like you go out to a restaurant or something and it's like, oh, I'll have this meal. And that meal is just designed for this average plate, you know, like I literally like my girlfriend is only about whatever, 55 kilos or something. And I'm like 100 kilos. So like we get the same plate. If we order the same dish at a restaurant, we get the same plate. She only eats about half of that. I get to eat the other half of it in case anyone's wondering. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like that they're not designed specifically for us. And again, going back to that first conversation we were talking about where it's like, okay, well, you know, we should have like equal size plates and everything like that's, I, I actually think that's what we should have, but it actually can be harmful because now all of a sudden you're kind of left in this like social paradigm, especially in cultures like the Irish culture or Arab cultures as well, where it's like, oh, you must finish your plate and you're supposed to finish your plate. There's, you know, starving kids in Africa. That's what we were all told when we were growing up. It's like, finish your plate. And now all of a sudden we've got loads of different factors that are playing into like social pressures or whatever that are playing into either making you over-exercise or making you overeat and under-exercise, you know? So in my mind, at least for, for women, to guys, for guys as well, to an extent, but it's a little bit easier to navigate for guys. There's a little bit more like clearer paths, uh, paths, if I could even speak. Um, but for women, like it's very hard to navigate this situation. And as I was saying, like we can play a role in terms of providing good exercise guidelines, providing good nutrition guidelines. But even with that, it is still far less effective then you're going to see from this like skinny tea or this detox tea, because all you're going to see is some, you know, whatever Z list celebrity, micro celebrity, whatever. And they're going to be like, Oh, I use this to, you know, lose five pounds in two weeks or whatever it is, you know, and someone's like, Oh, that's exactly what I want. That's, that's exactly, you know, I want to lose five pounds or whatever it is, you know? Um, and that's unfortunate because that marketing is very, very persuasive, especially when you don't have the requisite education, the knowledge level to go, oh, this is actually what good nutrition is. Like you said, you know, they're going to go on this like 500 calorie, you know, diet, where they're just like, oh, I heard my fitness pal is good. And you'll see them basically be competitive with themselves being like, how low can I actually get my calories? Like how low can I eat on a given day? You know, and this is especially true for certain subsections of, of women where they find themselves in these like negative social groups. You know, this is what they, at least from the research I've read, you know, like you put people in like, you know, these situations, especially women where they have like eating disorders and they start encouraging each other, you know, it's like, that's actually like, they basically make it worse 
for each other and you kind of have to separate them if you actually want resolution which is a little bit different than what you would think you'd be like oh well they have a common ground like they can discuss this stuff but unfortunately it becomes almost competitive it's like oh well you know i lost this much this week or you know i only weigh this much now you know all i'm able to survive on 300 calories per day or whatever you know so there's so much going on in these formative years and unfortunately this also like is the, the the years of your life that are supposed to set you up for the rest of your life this is where you're supposed to be getting your education this is where you're supposed to be you know building like bone mineral density this is where you're setting your physiology up for you know your 20s your 30s like your more reproductive years and all that kind of stuff and it's like this this is a huge issue that if we don't actually address it which is what we're trying to do with the this podcast um it just kind of gets swept under the rug it's like oh yeah we know you know little Sarah down the road, she has something going on. She's getting a bit skinny these days, but you know, let's just, let's just not say anything to her. Let's not say anything about that. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help her. Just brush it aside, you know? And it's like, that's, it's not really good enough. Absolutely. Definitely. And I suppose, you know, on, on the topic of marketing there, like marketing these days is just fantastic. You know, I mean, it, it's really kind of, I suppose, focusing on that kind of um, scarcity mindset or, you know, the culture of kind of never being enough. And they really pry on women's insecurities. A lot of this kind of weight loss marketing is directed towards women and it focuses on, you know, what you should be and like what you're lacking and how that marketing is going to get you there so you know what I find particularly you know with clients coming to me is that there's a lot of women who have been trying to diet for like 20 years mm-hmm. you know um, and then they come and they're they're looking for not necessarily looking for a quick fix because they know that they've been trying to diet for so long but they come and I'm like okay let's take things easy for a few weeks let's get you into place where you're kind of really eating better and um, eating good foods will focus on high protein complex carbs eat it like exercising and all the rest and they often are kind of like what's the calories you know and like how quickly should I be losing weight and I'm like listen you've been trying to diet for 20 years okay let's take a step back let's get you into a better routine before we focus so much on again just like trying to be smaller um so yeah with with that age definitely I think you know things really kind of start you know kicking off then um and there's I suppose a lot of you know we are talking about um internal pressures um and I think a lot of um the between marketing that we see a lot of the cultural um influences I think it's not just about other people putting that on you like you were saying it's a lot of I suppose like you know internalized um objectification or internalized um, misogyny again about like what a woman should be like um and what they should do how they should train how they should eat um and they're almost self-projecting it onto themselves um and onto other women as well um so it's not just all about you know this is this is what the patriarchy has done you know it, it's a lot of um yeah like I said I suppose um internalized objectification more so than than anything yeah like I always think it's it's kind of lazy and I don't mean that to anyone who actually does say it but it is kind of lazy to just go oh it's the patriarchy's fault you yeah know? like that's basically just giving us all the power that's literally just saying that like oh yeah. guys have literally all the power I can literally through my actions through my words completely influence your thoughts, your mentality, whatever. I'm like, guys, give yourself more fucking credit. You know, <laughs> like you have the ability to rule yourself. You know, there's definitely a lot of hurdles and there definitely is. And traditionally for, for sure, there have been more and more barriers, but you still have that power in your hands. And I find it very, uh, 
anti-resilient, if you will, to be like, oh, it's the patriarchy, you know? And it's like, yes, that is a, a, a component and it's played into it, but yeah. it's not the solution. <laughs> Definitely. But I think as well, when, when you talk about that, a lot of guys get really, really defensive. And I think, you know, like people our age, you know, they they don't think of the way in, you know, kind of the patriarchy. But if you step into rural Ireland, if you go into the hospital and speak to half of our patients, you'll understand that this is still really um, entrenched in society. And it may not be in your, you know, 20 something year olds like male group. But it's still so, um, you know, widespread in society, you know, when I know we're going to talk a little bit about kind of um, women's kind of sport through the ages and kind of what, you know, fitness looked like for our parents age versus now. Um, but it, it's still like very much um, in society, even though it might not be directly um, in your friend group. Like we have a lot of patients and like I'm on um, the colorectal surgery team now. And, um, you know, it's, it's people that have had, you know, big surgeries for their rectal cancers. They have stoma bags now and they need to learn how to manage them. And I don't know how many, <laughs> how many like, you know, older men you're teaching them. Well, I'm not teaching them how to do it, but they're like, you know, you need to learn how to like empty the bag. And they're like, sure, why would I learn? The wife will be doing that for me. And they were like, no, no, <laughs> you need to learn how to do this. Mm. So it's still just completely entrenched in society, I think. Yeah. And again, it is, it is one of those things where it's like, we can again, ignore this or we can go, okay, this is a problem. How do we come up with solutions for this in future? And again, it comes down to better education and then better societal education in general, like this stuff, unfortunately, unfortunately to some extent, uh, doesn't move very fast. Like we wouldn't want it all to just fucking change overnight because that leaves us on very unsteady ground. Like no one knows what the fuck's happening. If society is just shifting day to day, but at the same time, it's like some of these things are clearly very negative in terms of what women have to experience and have traditionally experienced, you know. But anyway, look, we're, we're in our 20s now. OK, we've gone through these formative years. They were maybe good. They were maybe bad. Maybe you got some fucking awful marketing. Maybe you got some good marketing. You know, maybe you found yourself on the path. What are we looking at after this? Like, let's go through the kind of life stages and the different things that are potentially going to come up for women throughout the next few years. And then we'll kind of go into, well, maybe you want to do it while we're doing it. Maybe touch on any like specific female issues that might come up. Now, they might have come up during teen years, for example, you might, you might be diagnosed with PCOS or something, or you might have endometriosis. You might have a few different things that can come up, but let's just say, okay, we're kind of moving through it. We're kind of going through the life cycle stages, I should say. Uh, what's going on? How, how does that influence all this stuff? Yeah, so I suppose separating it out, I suppose, into the, the reproductive years and then I suppose the, the you know, perimenopause, menopause. So talking specifically about the reproductive years um, and the menstrual cycle, um, like we were saying, like in school, we're not really, you know, taught how to track. We're not taught about the day. We're taught at the very basic level, you know, what the fluctuations and hormones are, but we don't know what that means for us and how that might affect us. And then I suppose specifically to nutrition, um, and um, training um, like there, there's a lot of studies that are coming out at the minute well there's not actually a lot of studies there's a couple of studies that are coming out at the minute about how you know um, you know the menstrual cycle and how that might um, affect um, our training and I suppose what's happening now is that um, the menstrual cycle is such a minefield um, in that it is there's so much not only variation between women, um, but variation between cycles um, for the same woman. Um, and so when we're 
a lot what's happening is people are seeing studies and they're saying okay so during um the follicular phase you should be doing strength-based training and you should be doing um hit training when you're on your period um and they're trying to kind of i suppose really rigidly put in different stages of your cycle what what way you should be um eating what way you should be training um and they're completely i suppose like extrapolating the information and being like even though there might be um slight benefits in implementing these practices it's complete like I suppose extrapolation of the evidence and when you hear people who are actually researching in this area like Kelly McNulty from the period of the period she'll take these meta-analyses and say okay um you know so there's there what we're saying is there might be you know a small benefit of doing just say um hit during your period there might be um you know um better increases in strength gains you know during kind of the late follicular phase but there's so much female variation that this is just a general guidance and the best thing that you can do is track your own cycle track your strength increases um, and track your symptoms um but like i said what we're seeing is people just taking that evidence and just kind of running with it and it's kind of it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because I think a lot of people are getting excited about it and they want to know more about women's health and they're like I'm going to put this information out here I know about women and I want other women to know about this um but really it's 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 often not that helpful you know and I think like rigidly um you know getting women to um you know train and eat during different stages of the menstrual cycle might not actually be that helpful having these kind of blanket recommendations um so I suppose what I always say is 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 get people to um track themselves um, and not kind of be so um, based off of um, these studies that are showing kind of like marginal gains you know the most kind of specific recommendations can be are based on your own cycle and your own tracking um, rather than studies that you know have so much variation between them this is the thing as well like first of all for years, women were, you know, treated as a confounding variable uh, yeah. in studies. So they just weren't included. You're like, oh, well, I don't want to have to deal with, like, I'm doing a research study on, I don't know, the be best, most optimal training program. I'm like, oh, like these women over here, they have this cycle. So, you know, they might have, if I measured them on this week, they might have good results. If the, their performance could be all over the place, I'm just not going to include them. And that was the way like science was done. Now, fortunately, you know, first of all, people realize that that's, unethical especially in the medical context because you're like well women take drugs as well so if you're just prescribing drugs that have only ever been tested on men we don't know what the fuck's going to happen but also in the stuff that's related to the training and stuff it's like well you're actually not getting the full picture here you're, you don't actually know what's going on like you're trying to make evidence-based recommendations and you can only ever make evidence-based recommendations for 50 percent of the population because you've only you've only done it in men you know so it's great that they're you know including more women in this stuff but Again, when you actually get that onto a, a practitioner level, it can be very convoluted because you have a lot of inter-individual variability. You have differences between like, uh, like even yourself where it's like, oh, you're one month versus the next month could be completely different, you know? So it's like, there's, there's so much variability that goes on, but there's actually better skills to learn to deal with that stuff, you know? Like we always talk about like what's called like auto-regulation, you know, where it's like, okay, let's actually track how you feel, perform, you know, look, all of those different things. And then let's actually modify our, you know, uh, maybe our training intensity on the day, the amount of volume we're doing in a given workout, the amount of volume we're doing that week, you know, different things like that. We're auto-regulating based on the, 
feedback that our body is giving us, you know, and that's a much better way of going about it. However, it doesn't have the same marketing appeal where it's like, oh, well, based on the most recent studies on the female population here, well, we should be doing X uh, modality or protocol at this time. And also it has a great marketing ring to it where you can say, oh, uh, we are going to periodize your training to your period like it has a great marketing ring you know it's like oh periodization period oh it's like yeah cool we're 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 very scientific you know but unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you look at it you're much better off just auto-regulating you're much better off actually just learning to listen to these signals but unfortunately that actually requires a bit of you know first of all knowledge of what you're looking for but then also you actually have to kind of spend a, a period of time actually tracking this stuff. You know, it's not like I can just go boom overnight. We know exactly. We have got one month's data. Even I know exactly what's going to happen because and I'm sure you see this with your clients as well. A lot of my female clients, they will have a lot of variability. They'll be like, Oh, it's not this perfect four week cycle. You know, some of them, they're like clockwork. Literally. I'll be like, set my timer. I'd be like, okay, cool. Literally. I know exactly you're on day 25 here. You know, <laughs> like some of them are like that. But a lot of the time, it's all over the place. They might have one cycle is 28 days, one cycle is 35 days, you know, but there's some some relative consistency to it, you know, and then especially in the populations that we deal with, because, you know, people come to us when they have you know, different issues, you might be like, oh, I had a period, three months, no period, a period, six months, period. You're like, how are you supposed to understand what's going on with that if you are in that kind of oligomenorrheic uh, stage where you're like, I don't like, I don't have a regular cycle. So how am I supposed to use this uh, research here that has been, you know, crafted this perfect ideal cycle? You know, it's like, you're not able to use that research, but you still are able to use the tracking your body, tracking what's going on, auto-regulation. How do you feel? How are you, how's your performance going? Okay, let's actually start using that data you know, to inform how we actually train, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that that's a point that I like to drill home as well, is that, you know, it's not good practice to completely change someone's training just because they're a woman, you know, like there, there's still the, there's still like fundamental things that we need to, to, to keep in programs. And like you said, like autoregulation is, is key. Um, and then, so there's between the menstrual cycle um, and then you have if woman's on a contraceptive, which just brings in a whole other um, minefield into studies. And then what you see then is that studies are mixing women that are on the oral contraceptive pill and not. And again, just the information, the quality of information just varies so, so wildly. Um, and then even within the oral contraceptive pill, you have you know 20 plus different types, not just the oral contraceptive pill, any kind of contraceptive. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's just, it's just a minefield of information. And I think, yeah, the best thing that you can do is, is track, um, your own symptoms and your own month. Um, and whether that's your natural cycle, whether that's your on the oral contraceptive pill, whether with that you have like one of the implantable devices, um, I think that's the best thing that you can do. Yeah. And this is the thing, like I've seen so much data because obviously like through the years I've had loads of female clients. And it's so interesting to see the differences. Like, you know, a client will be like, oh, I'm on the copper IUD or something. And it's like, okay, you know, I've had 20 clients that have been on that. And this is the general response that they seem to get the next few weeks. This is, you know, things that I might, you know, you might experience, if I can even speak, things that you might experience, things that we might expect. And then this individual just performs completely differently than all the last 20 individuals that I had. So it's like, you have to just be very, you have to treat yourself as, I was going to say an experiment that sounds a bit wrong, but you have to treat yourself as I don't know what's going on. 
until I actually start tracking this stuff, until I actually start listening to my body, until I actually learn about myself. You know, you're basically that N equals one. You're that like, there's only one person that matters when you look at all this stuff. And that is you. While we can have good, you know, general frameworks, and that's what we're going to talk about on the whole podcast series, there's still the issue of you need to look at this on an individual basis, you know? Um, what's the next then? What, like, are there any specific issues or is there anything else you want to go on to? Maybe uh, perimenopause, menopause, anything like that? Yeah, so like the, the, even like, you know, in those reproductive years, you have your pre and postnatal and how that's developed over the years, you know, before, um, you know, being pregnant was an illness and you should um, lie in bed and you shouldn't move a muscle and you should eat for two and um, you know all this misinformation and that throughout the years and how much you know that has changed um, and I suppose the, the view of pregnant women and pregnant bodies and breastfeeding and all the rest um, but now we have a lot more specific recommendations that we can make and I suppose we'll, I know we'll talk, go into more detail about that in, in one of the next podcasts but I, why I want to just go through all these kind of briefly is because like I said, I think sometimes talking about women's health, we can be like, what is the difference? And we do go through so many different life stages. So like I said, between pre and postnatal, then there's the perimenopause, menopause. Um, so it is important to know um, about these, you know, distinct different types before we can actually, um, you know, inform on our on our practices. Um, so. Yeah, 100%. So, well, we won't get into the pregnancy stuff today because it's a big old can of worms to, to get into um even pre post during everything um but then after that what's the, what's what, what could possibly happen next surely there's not another life stage yeah. that go through. yes absolutely so then so then we're hitting i suppose in into our 40s we're hitting perimenopause um and then menopause i suppose being you know an exact point in time and then post-menopause so perimenopause i think like i was saying earlier it, it, it's something that's really only you know being talked you know um a lot of more about now and I suppose again culturally that that's going back to the menopause was is seen as something that's really taboo and um, women still don't like talking about it you know because it's seen as um something you know they're, that their fertility is gone and back in I suppose however many hundred years ago it was seen that women were now defunct you know um, and this is where I suppose the idea of like witches came from was women who were now I suppose what we know going through the menopause they were caring for you know younger children and they were giving like medicinal you know products from you know from their knowledge of being you know a lot older and, and wiser um, and then they were suddenly seen as witches you know um, and I suppose that that's where that that term comes from so it's a huge amount of taboo in that area but I think it's it's fantastic now that that we are talking about it and there's a lot more information going into it particularly the perimenopause and, and so setting yourself up um, for um, postmenopausal age um, and you know it's something that you know I suppose I talk to even you know my mom a lot about my mom who's you know um, in her late 60s um, and is a complete menopause denier you know and it's just like she's like I don't believe in this menopause thing do you know what I mean and she's just like I don't I don't believe it's a thing she's like I didn't get any symptoms nothing nothing but again it's it's completely counterproductive because like she herself would have like osteopenia like these these changes have 
have in fact happened. And I suppose for anyone that doesn't know, um, when you kind of um, hit um, perimenopause, you start to have, you know, anovulatory cycles, um, your hormones are kind of going up, down, every sort of way, estrogen starts to decline. Um, which will you'll see things like a redistribution in body fat so just like before where you might have been holding most of your body fat in your lower limbs you start seeing more kind of visceral fat distribution around your midsection like men um with that decline in estrogen as well they have estrogen has a protective effect on your bones on your heart so this is when things like osteopenia osteoporosis start to kick in and this is, I suppose, where I'm coming back to that we need to start thinking about our health and fitness at a way younger age um, and not, you know, just when things start to go wrong, like, you know, um, fractures due to osteoporosis, like one in two women, 50% in women over the age of 50 will suffer a fracture, an osteoporosis related fracture. And I suppose it's no good to start thinking about these things when it's happened. Um, and we need to start thinking about it before we start hitting our 40s um and i know that people don't you know go into the gym they don't wake up in the morning and say hey like i'm gonna go like you know decrease my osteoporosis risk but it is something that we need to know about that we can that we can start implementing this stuff at a way younger age that it's going to have such a payoff like later in life for like you know a fit strong healthy body yeah and again like because like, so in my family like there's so many women and that sounds a bit weird but like I have so many brothers I have three sisters like there's so many women in and around my family because we just have big families right so a lot of my like nieces nephew nephews that doesn't make sense a lot of my nieces like I have a lot of female nieces that makes sense obviously <laughs> but I'm like you guys need to be doing this stuff like I'm, I'm trying to tell them like you need to be doing this stuff because yeah okay cool it's it's fun and all to be like oh i want to you know build my booty or i want to you know get a little bit stronger i want to lose some fat or whatever but it's like you have to also be thinking down the line because as we talked about in i think it was two or three maybe five episodes actually ago uh we we're talking about like the death risks like all the things that people die from it's like one of the major killers is like you have a slip you have a fall you break a bone you break a hip maybe and then all of a sudden you're bed bound you lose a load of muscle and you're dead within a year you know and you're like oh well the fall didn't kill you but the consequences of that did and again then it's like okay well you know how could we prevent that and unfortunately it starts 40 years ago you're a 60 year old who fell and it's like you needed to be doing some some sort of weight bearing exercise some sort of resistance work either running whatever uh, before that so that you had the requisite bone mineral density so that this wasn't an issue when you were 60 but unfortunately that's a hard sell when you're again like you said getting up in the morning you're not really motivated to train today and you're like oh uh, that's a problem for future me you know I'll, I'll think about that in the future but unfortunately you're going to think about it in the future when you have a low bone mineral density and the issues start coming about. Yeah, well, that, that's a huge thing. And, and, and it's something that, you know, that we see so commonly in the hospital as well is that, you know, people are coming in with fractures, like you were saying, they're bed bound. And there's such a high mor morbidity and mortality associated with that, that people don't see. They think, you know, OK, break bone, I'll, you know, it'll heal. I'll just be on crutches for a few weeks. But when you're at that age and, you know, when someone who's in their, you know, 70s, 80s comes in and has a broken bone when they leave it's like their confidence is knocked their mobility might never return to what it was before and um, their quality of life you know obviously is impacted by that um so it's a, a lot of these things that we we don't really think about and only until it's 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 way too late 
Yeah. Anyway, so look, we're gonna keep this going because <laughs> I mean we're gonna cover this stuff in depth. I am I'm I'm aware that we're like we're we're getting stuck into the weeds now and it's like we actually wanna wanna save some of the good stuff for later on, you know? Um so menopause, it happens, it's a thing. We'll cover that in the future. Now let's move on to this. Well, I suppose we could touch on any female specific issues that maybe you want to touch on, maybe just briefly mention some things if you, if you have anything that comes to mind. I know we have podcasts planned that'll go in depth to this stuff. And then I do want to get onto this kind of you know transition through the years, the last, you know, whatever you want to call it, the last hundred years, I suppose, of women in sport and fitness and all that kind of stuff. And then we'll kind of finish up on that, you know, outside our bubble talk, you know, because that I want to finish up on that. So any specific issues that women are going to be dealing with that we might be dealing with, or we might be dealing with that doesn't even make sense, Patrick, that we are going to discuss on this podcast. Yeah. So I suppose while we're still on, while we just touched on kind of menopause, while we touched on pre and postnatal, again, something that we're starting to talk a lot more about now is pelvic health. And one thing that whether you are, you know, a female yourself, a female who trains, who's, you know, had a kid or not, um, or if you're someone who's training women, I suppose the importance um, of this subject, and I know it's something that might be uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about, um, but actually putting something about like whether, if, you know, if someone's like had a child um, or even if not, if to say if urinary incontinence, urinary retention, anything is something that they suffer with, to put that on a screening form, you know, with with the client um and i suppose this might be something that someone seems like um, minutia but it's it's come up like so many times with clients of mine that pelvic health was never discussed and then subsequently it's something that that really affects their training sessions i was training um a lady back when i did in personal training in person personal training and um i had just taken her over from another trainer and I remember bringing her over to the TRX and I think I was trying to get her to do squats. And then she started like jumping um, don't you enjoy? and I was like, oh, no, you don't have to do like jumping squats. And she was just like, oh, really? And I could tell by her reaction, you know, that there was something else going on. And I was just like, she was like, oh, you're the last guy, you know, had me doing jumping squats. And I was just like, all right. And after three kids, how do, how do you find that? And she was like, not good. She was like, guys don't understand these things, you know? And for her, what this meant was she was, you know, running to the bathroom during sessions. She was always making sure that she was wearing, you know, black trousers. And I suppose the implications of this is that, you know, someone might have anxiety going to a training session. They'll probably never do that session on their own. Um, and there's a, a way higher drop off rate for something that, you know, could have been screened so easily on the questionnaire um, and I know for a lot of women in that age group it's something that you know they're like I have my kegel exercises I know I could go and do all this she was just like look I'm just dealing with it and you know it's fine I just want to avoid that um, so it that is one thing that I think can affect women's quality of life so much um, another um a consultation that I had recently was for it's not just something that affects like older women it's for a young girl um you know who's on um, medication essentially for an overactive bladder and again unless we had screened for that you know I would have been trying to get her to drink like three liters of water a day you know wake up like smash 500 mils when that's actually completely inappropriate for her so it's something, again, it's a small detail, but for it affects so many women. Um, so, and for something that 
that is just as simple as throwing it down on a forum and you know trying to broach the soft the subject can make a huge difference um so there's you know between pelvic health ibs is another huge one um, actually on the, the pelvic health one because i do want to actually emphasize that this is something that you're going to see from teens to whatever 90 year olds you know so like it is you might be listening that going yeah yeah cool cool yeah if i have a you know a mother of three kids something i'll look out for but like there you could see this in your 20s you see this all the time as well in sports like crossfit you know where women will be doing like a deadlift or something and they'll pee a little you know <laughs> or powerlifting happens as well and it's like okay what's actually going on there it's like oh there's something going on with the pelvis and i've had clients like that run the gamut between like people with you know very uh we'll call it loose pelvic floors where it's like, you know, they don't have as much control as they'd like. And I've also had the opposite where they, they have a tighter pelvic floor and they're having issues with, you know, uh, the muscles pulling and pushing different things, you know, I shouldn't say like that, but it's pulling on like the uh, urinary tract, urinary, the bladder, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, how do we deal with this? Like, if you don't screen for that, you don't ask them, like, you're not going to know what's going on. They're going to be like, oh, well, I can't really do, do today's session because xyz and it's like oh well what is the actual issue it's like oh you can see that i have planned here i have these you know uh jumping jacks and you know medicine ball slams into deadlifts and whatever else and it's like they don't want to do that because they know they're basically going to piss themselves at the end of that session or during the session or they're going to be running back to the toilet and don't want to have that conversation with you unless you actually dig a little bit deeper you know so there is like a huge amount to this there's also other like relatively weird things that can occur if you don't really understand well and maybe if you do understand pelvic floor conditioning like i had a client before that used to just literally no joke orgasm when they did uh like knee raises or hanging leg raises you know and it's like if you don't know what's going on there it's like oh well what the fuck is it like what, what's happening you know so like you're gonna see these things if you're a coach yourself or if you're a woman yourself you might experience these things and all of a sudden you're like oh how do i respond to this in the gym like what do i do whether it's like again you have to do your kegel exercises or you just have to avoid certain exercises or you have to do some sort of pelvic floor conditioning whatever it is this can affect you throughout your life absolutely and i suppose that that that's that's the other thing is that it's it's not only trying to screen for you know if it affects women if it affects your, your specific client because likely like again pelvic health is so taboo that even putting that on your screening for it might for that woman later in life, it might make them more open to seeking help um, about pelvic floor issues if they arise. So it's just about, I suppose, kind of breaking those barriers, breaking that stigma. And then later on, you know, let's say you're training them for a year and then maybe um, they become, they, you know, have a kid and then suddenly they're having pelvic floor issues they might remember that time that you had that on your screening form and that you might have an understanding of what's going on and they might come back to you then as well. So I suppose it's, there's, there's so much to it and, and it's multifactorial. And again, it's something that is so small, um, but it just, I think that needs to be kind of yeah dr drilled home. 100%. What's the next issue? So next issue, let's go. <laughs> so I, IBS, definitely. And I think people are probably sick to the teeth of hearing about like women and IBS. Um, but I think again, like if, if you're a coach, it's even just knowing how to adjust exercises. Um, if your client is struggling with IBS and that's like exercises where you might have them you know lying on the front doing like um lying leg curls if it's things like hip thrusts that if they're having IBS symptoms having like a heavy barbell on their hips again this is just another barrier to exercise um so it's about 
screening for these things it's about you know checking in if they're having those um you know whether it's kind of um like bloating whether it's cramping whether it's diarrhea constipation if they're having stomach issues um and knowing you don't have to be an expert in any of these things you know but it's knowing how to screen for them this is also the beauty of the health and fitness world you might not be an expert in something but you know there's someone else in your circle that is and you can go oh i'll refer out to that person you know it's like that's why we built a team you know all all the coaches at triage it's like we built a team because like i'm not an expert in certain things gary's an expert in that cool i might do a consult with gary or brian's an expert in that oh i do a consult with brian you know so you need to build out that network if you're a coach yourself you definitely need to build out that network um but if you're an individual yourself and you're trying to deal with this stuff again you might have a coach they might not be an expert in this stuff don't be afraid to reach out to someone else and ask for their opinion their advice whatever yeah absolutely absolutely but yeah just just knowing what to do and knowing how to refer knowing how to adjust exercises knowing how to adjust nutrition um and i suppose asking questions in in the right way sensitively um and giving i suppose women enough room to back out of a question as well so if you are asking about pelvic health you know giving them an (laughs) opt-out if that makes sense oh yeah 100 like you don't want to don't make it uncomfortable for people. And that's unfortunately the thing, especially because the fitness industry is, you know, largely a male dominated industry. So you're like, oh, I don't want to talk about this with my, you know, 30 year old client. You don't want to talk about your 20 year old client, your 30 year old client, your 40 or 50 or 60 year old client. You don't want to talk about it. So then you're like, oh, I'll just, you know, I, I won't touch on it. Where in reality, you should touch on it. If they're not willing, they're not receptive to that discussion. That's okay. At least they know that if the time ever comes, you're willing to have the discussion, you know, and that's the main thing. So what's the next issue? <laughs> those, those, you know, are the two, I suppose, main ones, uh, different subsets of that, you know, like you've PCOS, you've amenorrhea, which is huge, um, you know, um, endometriosis, a lot of, I suppose, kind of more kind of medical um, issues. Um, and yeah, I suppose they're all kind of more subsets but i think like things like ibs is like the i suppose main one that we're we're hearing a lot about yeah and the thing about it is especially with the ibs and actually a lot of the issues that women face like there are differences in terms of like i actually did my uh dissertation for my undergraduate in sex differences in inflammation and depression between like men and women obviously you know and like some of the stuff you're seeing like you see in that when you actually like really dig into the research and you're like jesus christ like we're basically two different species here <laughs> you know and it's like there's a reason why it's more common in women there's reasons for why certain issues are more common in women and why other issues are more common in men and if you understand that stuff it actually gives you so much more i don't know what the word would be leeway to actually implement change in your life you know you're like okay i can actually this is not something that i have to face alone this is something that other women experience you know this is something that has solutions to it or at least protocols we can engage in that can manage this you know so the way we start with that conversation is by having that conversation and again that's what we will do in future episodes we will actually like dig into this stuff because even though some of these things are more medical in nature and it's not like you can just you know, endometriosis while there are like you know certain exercise things we should be looking at certain nutritional stuff like it's not like you can just fix this magic it away with nutrition or training but having said that you should still be aware of okay well what is endometriosis what how does that affect me like what's what are the likely complications with this how could i potentially at least manage this in whatever capacity with my nutritional interventions with my training how do i do all that stuff you know like you don't need to have again a medical degree or anything to understand this stuff or to act on this stuff 
But again, we need to have that understanding as a starting point, right? So look, we'll get into a lot more issues in, in future episodes, but I do want to just round out this, this episode, kind of finish up on it. Well, there's kind of two things we want to finish up on. And this, excuse me, this is the kind of, you know, women in sport and fitness over the years, because this is, it has obviously changed. You know, like I remember, like obviously I would well, I say, obviously I was born in 1992. I'm an old lad, right? And I'm getting on in years. I'm in the thirties, you know, but I remember when I was growing up, like I saw guys exercise, didn't really see women exercise, you know, like except I saw women exercise in schools, you know, um, like I lived beside a school or I lived beside a school, I should say. I saw women exercise in the school. That was a, a secondary school, you know, and then I didn't really see them exercise after that. You know, you might see one or two. Like I remember stuff like, you know, Sonia O'Sullivan or something, you know, being like, oh, like, you know, does some running. But that was kind of it. You know, you didn't really see athletic bodies. You didn't really see people, you know, pushing sporting stuff. And that might be just, you know, from a, we'll call it a marketing perspective. Like they just weren't showcased, you know, on the television or in ads or whatever else. Um, but I don't think there was as much activity. Or activity, I suppose, is the wrong word, but it's also the right word. There wasn't as much um, women in sport and activities back in the day, you know. Um, now that's obviously changed a lot over the last few years. But let's, you know, let's start wherever you want to start, whatever year you want to start, because I love history. So we can start in the you know Paleolithic times if you want. But let's talk about women in sport and fitness and how that has changed over the years. Yeah. And yeah, so I suppose like when you look out onto the gym floor now, there's still a disproportionate amount of, of men to women. And, you know, I suppose to understand that you you do need to 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 reach back like like I think it was like 2012. It was when uh, women were allowed to do boxing in the Olympics, you know, which is so recently. Um, you know, I think we we were talking about before how you know women weren't allowed to do marathons because they thought that their wombs were going to fall out, that they shouldn't do impact exercises, that they shouldn't do contact sport because they were going to you know hurt their um, reproductive organs. Um, so this is this is something that you know has I suppose been ground through society through the ages and then when we go back to even like our parents age um and you know the kind of exercise on tape and you're doing you know like the step aerobics um and so that was the the now the new um standard of exercise that women were supposed to be doing like a mixture of that a mixture of yoga pilates you know gentle exercises um and now i suppose what we're seeing is is a lot more women um in the gym which i suppose is which is absolutely amazing and i think crossfit has a lot to thank for that and i suppose instagram is like a double-edged sword with 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 regard to that because it is given a lot of women i suppose easier access to the gym it's um you know a lot easier to be able to follow someone and see what they're doing and being able to replicate that in the gym um but i suppose we have now this whole other area era of like body dysmorphia and this other thing um that we are um pushing towards you know if you're like a 90s kid like myself you know we grew up looking at um you know Kate Moss and we grew up looking at the Victoria's Secret Victoria's Secret supermodels and that was our standard of like what a woman should be what a woman's body should look like uh, 2000s tumbler aesthetic you know exactly. skinny legs I know yeah. 
high gap exactly exactly um and how that's changed to now your i suppose like you know maybe more of a kim k body type or like you know the strong not skinny mantra well we have just i suppose replaced um these body ideals in, in a lot of way in a lot of ways um and you know a part of that is um you know productive and the other another part of it is counterproductive and I think what we were talking about before is that like I like to separate kind of women's fitness into like a couple of different worlds you know and one being this um I suppose fad dieting worlds that's full of like skinny teas um you know IV vitamin drips and you know low carb and like you know weight watchers and like extreme diets which take up like the majority of the general population like let's be real like um and then you have you know the whole the rise of the fitness influencer and they're doing their bits on Instagram and it's like follow my workout and like get ready for the gym with me um, and showing their like, you know, perfect days. Um, and then you have like another subset of people that, you know, know what they're doing in the gym. And I kind of like split that again into like two different sections. So people that know what they're doing in the gym um, and half of them are, have a really positive influence. They're putting out really good information. So if you're following someone like, you know, like Meg Squats or Katie Crew, um, they're really like approachable um, fitness influencers that are putting out again like really um fantastic information but then you have the other side of it and like both men and women um who know what they're doing but are just like bashing everyone else essentially and saying like you know those booty band workouts are stupid and like cardio stupid and like you should train like this and you need to train heavy um and you need to you know whatever and again we're, we're just you know taking instead of kind of building they think that they're kind of building women up and yeah women can be strong and absolutely but I feel like it's just kind of um redirecting the idea of the ideal of what women should be and just again just pushing it back uh, you know like progressing in, in a sort of a way and saying actually women should be training like this women should be doing this um and I think it's I find it kind of like regressive and I'm really when people start you know going on and like giving out about um like booty banded workouts or giving out about influencers I'm just like you know who is this actually benefiting um, and I think you can you can talk about how these things aren't beneficial and how there are better ways to train um, and better ways to do your nutrition without kind of slamming someone else down. Yeah. Like we're pretty modality agnostic here. You know, I'm like, I just want to see people exercising in some capacity and you see yeah. this all the time where people are like, just in the general fitness industry, we're like, this is the only way, this is the way we should do it. If you don't do it this way, you're fucking stupid. What are you even doing? Blah, blah, blah. And that's just not helpful. And you do unfortunately see that a lot marketed towards women because i don't know what it is but it seems to be this kind of appeal to uh, authority almost that's the wrong kind of you know fallacy that i'm talking about but it is this kind of appeal to oh i know what i'm doing what you're doing is stupid you should feel bad and then when they feel bad it's like now come to me because i'll actually i'll put you on the path i will show you the way and you know that's how they're getting their their clients and it's not it's not necessarily bad like it is bad because it's you know it's bad but it's not necessarily bad because that individual then starts exercising. The reason it's bad is because that might not be what that individual enjoys. That might not be what that individual actually wants. You know, like you see all the time, like the vast majority of the health and fitness content on Instagram or whatever is produced 
or that is produced for women is like, oh, this is how I train my glutes. This is the exercises that I do for my glutes. This is how I grew my glutes fucking five inches or whatever it is, you know? And some of it's positive, some of it's good. But what if you're just an individual that's like, I'd actually just like running. I just want to know how to improve my running. You know, the vast majority of the content is just not being produced for you. And yeah. it's very hard to then just be like, all right, what do I actually, what should I be focusing on in the gym? What should I be focusing on with my nutrition? These people are all talking about these low calorie diets, or these people are talking about, I should go on a bulk. And like, you know, it's like, it's, there's so much noise, so much confusion and it's unfortunate. And I don't actually think it has gotten better. <laughs> that might be a bit of a controversial, controversial opinion. I don't know if you, you agree or not, but I don't think it's gotten better. Like I actually think it's, like we're in the same, like I was just discussing with you that like you can go to the British Museum and you can see like, you know, one of the oldest medical textbooks and well, libraries, they're in cuneiform and everything. I don't know if you can read cuneiform, you know, uh, but like they're one of the oldest uh, medical texts uh, in, in the world. And they're talking about like, you know, female, like reproduction, female things and how do we deal with this issue and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, we basically do the same kind of thing in this day and age, you know, I like to think that at triage, we don't, but, um, you know, this is what the, the health and fitness world does. It's like, here's this, you know, random thing that we're just going to say, Oh, that's how we, we deal with this. And it's like, yeah, that's not actually helpful. You're just dictating what this woman should want or what this woman should do. And you didn't even listen to them. You never actually went in and got like, what, 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 what's the actual goal? What do you as an individual want? Now, I do think certain subsections of the health and fitness world have gotten better at this, but I also think, unfortunately, they fall victim to that kind of, you know, what would you call toxic positivity, where it's like, okay, let's actually listen to you. Let's have a bit more, you know, emotional intelligence here. Let's actually talk to the individual in front of us. But then, unfortunately, a lot of those uh, individuals go into this kind of, you know, you should have unconditional acceptance of yourself. And as we were kind of discussing before the podcast, like that can lead to a situation where like, if you feel like shit, like imagine you are that, you know, 15, 16 year old woman and you're kind of like, like, I don't like my body. I don't like who I am. You're still trying to figure yourself out. And this person's telling you to just unconditionally love yourself, you know, where like, you're perfect the way you are. Like, that's not really helpful. Well, you might think, it is helpful because you're like, oh, you're going to teach them how to love themselves. Like if they feel like a piece of shit, you know, and you tell them that this is as good as, good as it gets, you're perfect the way you are. Where did they go from there? You know, like you want to actually help them deal with the things that they have going on. You want to actually help them rather than just building this kind of like, oh, you should love yourself. Like that's not actually helpful, even though it sounds compassionate. Yeah, absolutely. And like you're saying, it, it is, it has just become a minefield of people who are, you know, pro diet, anti diet, and you shouldn't diet. And like, then people are like, no, it is okay to diet. And it's hard to know what to listen to. Um, and there's, like you're saying, so much noise on social media. And like, we have to remember a huge part of this is like clickbait as well. Like a lot of the stuff that is going up on Instagram, that is going up on TikTok, um, it's trying to get people to share and to like it. So whether it's like, you know, just, oh, follow my workout or whether it's like, you know, kind of love yourself, they're just trying to like get people to have that like that instant gratification and like they're, they're like you know like following random workouts from random people that's not really going to help you at all okay it's going to get you into the gym and it's going to get you exercising and that's amazing like that that in itself is is a good idea is a good stepping stone 
Um, but like in the long term, they're just trying to get you to click onto the page. They're just trying to get you to 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 like the workout, share it, particularly if it's like aesthetically pleasing. And then a lot of the, yeah, like you're saying, a lot of this stuff um, with like you're saying, like toxic positivity, like, no, it's fine. Like, just, just try your best. Like, just, you know, do this. Everything's fine. And there, there has to like come a certain point where you're just like, no, I'm, I'm actually going to, you know, kind of try a little bit harder. I'm going to like do this for myself. I am going to put more of a focus on my health. I'm going to try and train a little bit harder. I'm going to, you know, um, try and improve like these, all these facets of health. And I'm not just going to say like, everything is blanket fine. Yeah, 100%. And this is also just to, to finish up on this, we like in our little bubble, you know, when we look at individuals, we follow certain individuals. But like you said earlier on, when like you're interacting with the general public, the beliefs that they have, the knowledge that they have about these different things, whether it's, you know, just female health in general, or it's exercise in general, or it's nutrition in general, or it's exercise or nutrition for a subset of whatever it is, like, it's actually very poor. And we kind of get lost, uh, especially in the fitness industry, where it's kind of just this like a circle jerk, where it's like, oh, I just want to put out content to, you know, impress my following, impress the, my peers and show, oh, I, I actually know this stuff. I, you know, I have, I have knowledge on this stuff. And like, we all fall victim to it because we want to seem knowledgeable to our peers, but it actually isn't helpful in a lot of cases you know and it does like it has this kind of bubble effect where you know you only listen to the voices in your bubble and you know it's like oh like i think the industry is getting better because of this when in reality it's like if you actually look outside that bubble i can speak outside that bubble you know you realize you're like okay well actually the vast majority of people are not in good health the vast majority of people don't know what to do the vast majority of people are actually exposed to really fucking shit information like if you just go down to your local whatever tesco or whatever store around you pick up a magazine that's you know for women you know whatever it is you know you look at that there's going to be all these random like fitness health nutrition advice you're like what the fuck is going on like i remember when i was trying to like learn about this stuff like i was going to like you know like if you can even speak today when i was going to like the local library i just want to learn about nutrition and you know different things like that or i'd go into like you know a bookstore get a nutrition book or you know even just getting magazines like men's health and all these different things you know and a lot of the stuff was actually just pure fucking crap and me as like a 15 year old 16 year old when i'm trying to learn about this stuff like the information was so bad, but I can imagine if you're a woman, it's even worse. But also I can, re I remember distinctly thinking, because a lot of the content that you'd, you'd find just in a library or whatever is dictated or dedicated towards women. Like, cause it's like, this is a, an easier market. We can sell to these women. We can sell this fat loss diet. We can sell this, whatever, because, you know, like you were talking about, you know, you have these clients that, you know, that come to you after 20 years of back and forth dieting like i always call this the health and fitness merry-go-round you know and they literally are around and around they go oh they do this diet they do this detox they do this whatever and then they step off and you know they're in the exact same place that they were 20 years ago you know but also and this goes to the kind of approach that we take you know they step off that health and fitness merry-go-round and they're dizzy they've been around that a few times so what we really need to do in that initial stage is actually create some stability we need to just get some basic good habits and then we can start really you know going towards a specific goal when you're out of it like i couldn't tell you the amount and we will talk about this when we're talking about like amenorrhea and different things like that but i couldn't tell you the amount of clients that i've had that come to me and they're like i have an aesthetic goal i have this certain goal i want to reach a certain physique and we get them out because they come to me because they have amenorrhea or something we get them out of that we get them some more food we get them you know more realistic exercise patterns or whatever and then they're like Jesus, I actually don't want that. You know, I was looking for that for the last five years and I, you know, basically dieted myself into this amenorrheic state 
but it wasn't actually something I wanted. I wanted to feel strong. I wanted to feel fit, athletic, whatever it was. And once we get to that, they're like, I actually don't want to change my body composition. They might want to change it a little bit. They're like, oh, I wouldn't mind, you know, growing bigger glutes or my shoulders or whatever. But it's not like this obsession towards getting leaner, you know? So you kind of have to step back. And it's unfortunate that, unfortunately, that's not what the vast majority of people are exposed to. They're exposed to this crash diet, lose 15 pounds in two weeks, blah, 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 you know? Yeah, no, I mean like once you step outside the the health and fitness world like things do start to get wild and I don't know how many you know consultations that I had with people particularly when I was working in the gym they're like yeah I want to lose weight and I'm like okay this is mostly going to come down to your diet and they're like what (laughs) you know like what what do you mean a conversation that I had with someone yesterday in the hospital she was just like oh you know I want to lose a few pounds and she's like what should I do exercise and I was just like, yeah, I mean, you're mostly going to look at, look at your diet, um, you know, kind of what you're eating. And she's like, oh, really? Like what? Low carb, <laughs> you know, and the conversation just, you know, like you can imagine just spiraled from there. Um, you know, like I had um, a client once and, and again, like a, like a woman who, you know, had, had a like a big uh, like corporate job and she was, you know, was carrying a good bit of weight in her 40s. And um, she was quite reserved about what she was eating. You know, I'd be trying to, she definitely wasn't going to use my fitness pal or anything like that. So I'd be like, you know, maybe if you can uh, maybe do a food diary for one day, or if you can send me photos, I tried a couple of different techniques and she was just quite like reserved about, you know, what she was eating. Um, And then I was like, okay, so like run me through like what you ate today. And she was like, oh, no, 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 my diet is good. My diet is good. I'm, I'm snacking on apples, you know? And I was just like, okay, okay. She's like, yeah, 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 just constantly snacking on apples. And I was just like, okay, how many, you know, how many apples are we talking here? And she's like, constantly, I'm just always snacking on apples. And um, and I just I won't say her name, but I was just like, you know, if you're eating like, you know, five plus apples a day, you're trying to lose weight, you're a five foot six woman. I was like, you could be eating like a third of your calories just on these apples a day. And she's just like, what? <laughs> um, just completely like, like news, you know, just like, and I think just, yeah, the, the quality of information that's out there is, is terrible. And once you actually start talking to people outside of health and fitness, like you start to realize how much room for improvement there is in like public health measures, in schools, um, in workplaces. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And um, luckily, we've just started a podcast series on all of this stuff. So in the coming episodes, we will dive deeper onto a lot of the stuff that we brought on in this episode, but also a lot of stuff that we didn't cover in this episode, because there's certain things that they kind of just need an entire episode on their own. Some things, you know, you kind of need to build that knowledge. As we said, you kind of need to just like we did with this episode, just, you know, bring awareness to a few different topics, make you know a note of, Oh, this is a thing. This is a thing. But then there's some things that we need to actually build some knowledge of what the physiology is like, what's actually going on. Like, what, like, why do you have a menstrual cycle? Like what's actually going on? Like you said, you don't get that education. Well, in Ireland, you didn't anyway, you don't get that education of like, well, what, what do these cycle? Like, why is it happening? Well, what's going on when it's working correctly? What's going not going on when it's not working correctly? Do we actually have any, you know, levers to pull in terms of influencing that stuff? Um, which we do in a lot of cases, but again, there's other things as well. Like we said, there's certain medical things where, you know, we don't have as much leeway in terms of what we can do as you know, coaches or as individuals, you know, a lot of them are in the medical sphere, but we do still have an impact with the dietary stuff, the training stuff, or the, the issue at hand might impact on what we're doing with all this other stuff. Like we just touched on 
you know, like you could have endometriosis or something. You could be like, okay, well, what does that actually mean for my training? You know, how do I actually alter that? You know, um, but anyway, we're going to wrap that up here. Um, it was a pleasure having you on, Nicola. Um, you do have coaching spaces available if people are interested, you know, so like if you're enjoying this stuff and you're like, oh, I want someone to help me navigate this stuff. Nicola is the woman for you, the doctor for you. You hate being called doctor, but Dr. Nicola will sort you out um but also if you're interested guys we do have content in the coaches corner we do produce content on our social media nicola's always posting stuff about female specific stuff so if you're not following there and you want to learn more about this stuff the links etc are all in the description wherever you're listening to this on the links are there somewhere and so follow us social media we do have stuff in the coaches corner on this stuff we will have stuff in the future about this but the main thing that you can do if you want to learn more about this is actually just subscribe to the podcast because for the next maybe 10, 15 episodes, we're going to be talking about this stuff. So do you have any uh, parting words, Nicola? No, just keep following the podcast to learn more. (laughs) Fantastic. Anyway, peace out, guys.